Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Proposition for you guys. We could record this episode as we do like 100 times a year as normal, or we grab whatever mics we have sitting in the closet. Each get a refill on a cold one. We sit out on the deck and if we talk hockey, we talk hockey, but we just enjoy the nice weather. My new favorite saying is, you don't have to convince me. Yeah, that is your new favorite saying. You've been saying that a lot. Yeah. You said that a thousand times at the event. Everyone had really good ideas. Everyone's ideas for you are golf. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It is living somewhere where there are four seasons. It's funny how we just all have amnesia every single year, and then the nice weather comes around, and we're woefully underprepared. Like, I only kicked the AC on in here like a few hours ago. Uh, and desperately already trying to sit and lounge on the deck. The weather knows the Red Wings are almost done their season. They're not making the playoffs, and they just want us to to relax and enjoy the offseason. But we are still still here to talk to you about all things Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, and more. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, folks. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, a very special interview with none other then Carter Mazer, Red Wings forward prospect, current Grand Rapids Griffin, uh, former uh, University of Denver uh, champion, actually, I should say. And uh, it was a great conversation. Awesome kid. Loved his confidence. Uh, Evan and I had a chat with him yesterday, and I think you you'll, you folks will really love that interview. Yeah, super confident, totally believes in himself, and uh, is very well-spoken. Could easily replace me on the podcast. <laughs> but thank God he's an excellent hockey player, so that's uh, not a concern for me. But um, yeah, I hope everyone enjoys it. I have a feeling that not only does he have better lungs than you, but uh, a little bit better of a goal scorer too. Absolutely. Your job's safe for now. I don't know. One of these days a Red Wings prospect is going to flame out, but they're going to have a great voice on the mic and, uh, you know, they'll live close enough. And Evan, you'll you'll get the boot. Yep. Until that day, you're stuck with me. <laughs> uh, further, we have a recap of the uh, Red Wings. Two of their last three games, they look forward to their last game of the season and what it all means for their draft lottery and draft position standings. We'll talk about the percentages that work into that. And Simon Edvinson, the Brett's already shaking his head talking. About no, we are not order. talking about the percentages. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Simon Edvinson uh, down to Grand Rapids. The Red Wings elected not to burn a year of his ELC and kept him at nine games up uh, in the winged wheels. So we'll discuss that decision. Amadeus Lombardi continues to make waves. Uh, not only did he finish out a very, very impressive season with Flint in the OHL as they lost in seven games to Saginaw, uh, he also was assigned to Grand Rapids and could potentially factor in the final two games of that season. And uh, maybe Toledo beyond that, we're not sure. Brian Lashoff's retiring, some NHL news. Uh, Weidman had a an interesting quote Directed at Toronto, and uh, we'll uh, we'll see what else we get into before overtime. You ready, Brad? Oh, I'm ready. I meant for the draft lottery conversation. Oh, I am ready. It's just going to be me yelling at you for 30 seconds while you read off the stats. So yeah. you, I you bring it what, on myself. Yeah, you know what my response is going to be. So balls in your court now, buddy. <laughs> uh, the since the last episode, the Red Wings have played two games, two of their last three this season, uh, including their final home game of the season, which was a six-one loss to Dallas, and then the next night, which was last night, a four-one loss to Carolina. So both regulation losses. Obviously, not fun to watch this kind of hockey. 
uh, at this point in the season, we're all pretty tired of it. But in terms of the draft lottery positioning, it was good for Detroit. They are currently sitting at ninth best odds to, uh, uh, you know, hypothetically win first overall and the opportunity to draft Connor Bedard. But more importantly and more practically, realistically, they are sitting at ninth in terms of that draft position. So we'll get there in just a moment. Uh, the standings right now heading into the last game, Thursday night against Tampa Bay is their season closer. Uh, like I mentioned, they're sitting at ninth, ninth best or ninth from the bottom of the league. Washington is an eighth. Vancouver is right behind them in 10th and St. Louis is in 11th. All four of those positions are in play. Now, Washington is going to be playing a very motivated New Jersey team who is playing for the division lead, uh, you know, against Carolina. Vancouver and St. Louis could also, you know, win or lose. Detroit really is, they've guaranteed themselves a spot in the dance. And the percentages we're talking about are, you know, as low as 3%, 3.5% for 10th, 5% for 9th, and Washington is currently sitting at 6% for 8th. And that's to win first pick in the draft lottery. So what do we make of Detroit's position coming into the end of the season here? It, they're limping in, that's for sure. But everyone else around them is as well, um, unless you're the Chicago Blackhawks, um, <laughs> who are not limping in. Um so, you know what? We do this every year, and I'm not going to do the thing where it's like, well, if we would have won this game against this team, or if they would have done this, we would have won the lottery. I'm not doing that. It's nauseating. I can't. I gave up math as soon as I graduated. <laughs> Which is what his degree was in, I, I want to remind you all. It's only going to cause more pain and suffering, and the draft lottery has been nothing but that for Detroit. So I'm not doing it. I... As everybody knows, don't even talk about draft lottery odds. I only care about the position the Red Wings finish in for the actual draft spot because there is, I'm not going to call it a significant difference, but an appreciable difference between picking 8th and 11th, which are both in play for Detroit. And I was joking around with you two before the episode. I can guarantee out of those four teams, uh, Detroit's going to be the only one to win a game the to finish the season out and pick 11th because we've seen this before yeah uh, i've been hurt too many times to know any different tampa is playing for nothing and then again neither is detroit washington's playing a very motivated team st louis has a game tonight against a very motivated team can't remember who vancouver's playing so i don't care oh uh, i i Really, truly mean it. I would like Detroit to pick eighth, but I don't care. Vancouver against the Coyotes. That helps? Yes, it does. That helps. Vancouver are saving grace. Um, So obviously I want Detroit to pick eighth. And normally I am not on Team Tank. I am not the guy sitting here advocating for losing games, but half the roster isn't going to be playing next game. Larkin might not be playing. You know, there's a million players hurt. Lose the damn game. Just please, for the love of God. And that's, it's, it's the first time I've said in seven years, like, I'm I'm actually going to be mad if they win. <laughs> <laughs> He's going full bore. <laughs> because, like, I can't bring myself to care enough at this point. You know what I mean? And two teams playing for nothing, whatever. Just make the draft pick better at this point. I don't care about the lottery. We're not winning it. We We know how low the odds are to begin with. But... Where the Red Wings are picking is a really interesting intersection of positionality of who the likely prospects available are going to be. So if they want a right-handed defenseman or a center, 
picking 8th to 11th could actually be very significant. Now, in terms of quality of player, very little different. So don't take me, oh, Brad, are you really saying that three picks apart, four picks apart is going to be that big of a difference? No, but if picks 8 through 10 are center, center, right D, and you're picking 11, how's that going to feel? Not great. So... I Max did a phenomenal article today about how yeah. we're all sick of being here. Yeah. How we're all sick of having these conversations. And I fall right into that. So all I'm hoping for, lose the damn game, get a damn center, not even center, get someone who can score for the love of God. And then let's never have this conversation again, please. It's funny the the difference across the table here where Evan is completely done with sweating games and it is what it is. And Brad, I don't think, I think you want to get there, but yeah, you're looking at this last game and you're like, let's just make this simple and and lose. That said, I do think the Red Wings are doing in terms of what you can actually control, which is you, you put the players on the roster that you do. And the players obviously are going to go out there and try their best. Like Larkin sat out last night with a lower body injury, I believe. Uh, They have the roster as AHL players. Everyone's banged up. It's, the roster here, it's actually a surprise they won the games that they did, quite honestly. Oh, in the last couple of weeks, yes. Yeah. It's a miracle. And good on them. I'm not upset about that. So I don't want anybody to take what I'm saying. Yeah, not mad at the players. Yeah, I'm not mad at the players. I'm not mad at the organization. It's building a culture of tanking is bad and it's a detriment to the team. I don't ever want the Red Wings to actively go out there and lose. No matter what the draft implications are, the lottery implications. That's all out the window for this game. This is the first, you have two teams playing for nothing. You have half an AHL roster. This game means nothing. Mm -hmm. Like, and the fact that they can swing four spots isn't insignificant. And of course you can't ask the players. Valeno's going to go out there and play his ass off. Sider's going to go out there and play his ass off. Raymond's going to go out there and play his ass off. And you cannot and should not expect anything less from them. Tampa's going to rest a lot of guys. I think my frustration honestly just comes down to exactly what Max said today. I'm sick of this. This actively pisses me off. And hey, good on the Red Wings. We started having these conversations in January previous years. We didn't have these conversations until a few weeks ago this year. So that in and of itself is a win, but I'm still sick of it. Yeah. Last night we were talking in the group chat and I said the Red Wings needed somehow for Washington to beat one... But statistically, the the most successful NHL team of all time in any season in the Boston Bruins, and obviously they didn't. And they also needed the Pittsburgh Penguins playing at home, controlling their own playoff destiny, like win in your end type situation against the league worst Chicago Blackhawks, who are listing Evan as their second line center, their backup goalie, and their third pair right D. And they lost. And it's just such a laughably bad outcome for the Red Wings and it was the exact same my thought was the exact same sentiment of what Max wrote and we keep citing this article I'll put it in the link in the description you should read it and I think it's important because it echoes what a lot of Red Wings fans are feeling but my thoughts were exactly what Max put in that article which is this it's exhausting this shit is is exhausting I know objectively the lower the pick or the lower the the standings the better the pick and I know on paper there's this grand idea, and even we were naive enough to hold this belief early days that you oh, just— Oh, we're so young oh, and innocent. 
Uh, we were coming off decades of success, so it felt easy to say. Yeah. But you tank, you tank, you tank, and then all of a sudden you're good. And it's just like, it is not easy to pull yourself out of the throes of this. And this is like, it is a weight that just sinks you down. What kind of vibe does uh, do Tigers fans have so early in the season? I love summers at Comerica. Like, it is a great place, such a great ballpark, great experience. But that's the sport of baseball. Tigers fans know how bad this team is right now, and they still don't see the shape that it's going to take to make them a competitor once again. Pistons, I mean, let's see how their draft lottery goes. The, the hope of Detroit sports right now rests on the Detroit Lions for next My season. God. Yeah. You know, you know how I feel about that, putting your hopes on the Detroit Lions. And hey, I'm all in. You see me with my grit hat. I am all in. And I know exactly how I'll be hurt again. I hey, think, hey, man. The Bills. Dude, shut up. They Brad. did it. I'm no, s- no. The Bills and the Lions are mirrors of each other. <laughs> if we can win playoff games, you can. Because we were the same team for the better part of 20 years. Yeah. So, But it took the better part of 20 years. Hey, we're here now, buddy. <laughs> And I, here's the thing. I'm not, you know, this isn't a big rant at the Red Wings organization. This is kind of what Steve Eisenman has been saying for some time since he came in, that you can't just suck forever and you have to work on getting better. But yeah, I... I but where are we? I so desperately want this to be the last time that we're having a conversation of, are we in contention for first overall? Like, I look at Buffalo and how late they stayed in it, and I don't think the Red Wings have the the core that Buffalo has. But I also say the pe- Penguins were in it until the end, and I I don't know how much better of a team the Penguins were this season than Detroit, quite honestly. So where are we? I think they're in with I think they're within striking distance to get that little bit much better. What does that even mean, though? Like, look at the division. So what what do you want to do though? Suck until the division, the rest of the division sucks. I don't know. You, we're second last in division right now. How are you going to really get better without making leap like so, massive up? Upgrades. So here's where we're at, and this is the reality of it. The Red Wings rebuild, however you want to phrase this, is 90% complete, but the 10% they're missing is the most important 10%. And we have beat this topic to death this season. No. One more time. (laughs) (laughs) Two top line scoring forwards. I Honestly, I'm at the point, I don't care what position they play. I don't. They just need two guys who can consistently put the puck in the net or give the puck to players and have them put it in the net. That's it. We have seen that this, let's call a spade a spade going into the season, patchwork defense can be successful. Billy Huso, before he got overworked, was great this season, and we'll talk about him in a bit. I'm not worried about the defense. You can look at some of the defense groups that Pittsburgh won the Cup with. Awful. They, I would argue worse than this year's Red Wings. That's Dumoulin erasure, and I won't handle that. I don't care what you say. The With the Red Wings defense group they have, the defense prospects they have, between Huso, Kosa, pick whatever effing free agent you want. Well, Pittsburgh also seemed to have a Sidney Crosby and of getting well, That's the point I'm getting to. Marc-Andre Fleury. <laughs> the Red Wings have all the pieces in place, but arguably the two of the three most important. Two of the four, if you want to be optimistic. This free agent crop sucks. Where they are going to be picking in the draft, the answer is probably not coming there. It is great that they have picks eight and like 17 or wherever the Islanders end up. They're going to get two very good players there who are probably going to be upgrades on pick two guys off their second line right now, whatever. They have to find a way to get two top line forwards. Full stop. We've talked about it 
briefly, and I know we talked about it a bit more in the live episode, but what the Red Wings have to do this offseason to keep hitting the gas, find a couple value free agents, very similar to what he did, Eisenman did last year, which I have full confidence he will do again, just to plug some of the smaller holes down in the lineup. You know, we beat this right shot defenseman thing to death. It's not as big a deal. They have most Sider. The top line right-handed defense problem is solved. They just need to find depth. You can do that in a million places. And it oh. doesn't need to happen right now because exactly. now is not the time. Exactly. You got to find a team like Winnipeg is probably the prime example of a team that has a lot of legitimate stars that is probably in a position where they have to blow it up. You look at a situation where a player might not want to be there forever, like the Debrinket Ottawa situation is probably really worth keeping an eye on. Um, Calgary, who the hell knows what they are going to do this summer, but they've got some players that might be worth looking at if you're Detroit. So trade is the option. And I'm sure, and I'm not saying this going, hey, Steve, listen to me or you're an idiot. He's already looking at all this. Yeah, yeah. You know that. And he knows the problem. We know the problem. Everybody knows the problem. But that's what has to start happening. Does that trade happen this offseason? Maybe. Maybe Winnipeg blows it up and Detroit throws their best offers for Kyle Connor, Nikolai Ehlers. I don't know. Whatever. Maybe, the, you know what? Maybe the Leafs lose the first round again in Game 7 and they just go nuclear. Yeah. There's always things that can materialize out of nowhere that you don't suspect. But Detroit has to be in the position to overpay for these guys when they become available because there is no other way to get them with where the Red Wings are at in the rebuild. And I will advocate for overpaying for them. They have a billion prospects, a billion picks. There is no team in the NHL better positioned to capitalize on these situations than the Detroit Red Wings. And once again, I'm preaching this. Obviously, Eiserman knows this. This isn't news to anybody. I, you listening in your car right now, you know what I'm saying. I'm not saying anything special. I'm not saying anything intelligent. This is common sense. But the reality of this situation is this is this is what has to happen. There's no other option at this point. Unless the Red Wings get absolutely dumb lucky at pick 8 or 17 or their first round pick next year, this is the way. How uh, do we get here? <laughs> no, because you asked, how how do they take a step forward this year? That was your question. How do they? All they, I think Ryan said, this is they, the only option. They do, and then I said, how? Because look at the division. Well, well the division's its own conversation. It's You have your three big boys who aren't getting any worse. Florida's probably not getting worse. Buffalo and Ottawa. It's almost not even worth talking about because you're going to have to outgun a big team. That's the reality. That's As long as the Red Wings are in the East. And you know what? I don't even know that the West is that much different. I think everyone has their own little view. Uh, This is where all the stars are right now. It won't be this way forever. It's hard to say how it's not going to be that way, but it won't be this way forever. Or they're going to put in designated players that you can pay any anything not against the salary cap. Hey, and don't it just uh, don't helps with parity. Don't waste our good off season content. We're still in season. Well, there's lots of golf content. Don't yeah, worry. Yeah, well, don't worry. We'll give you your own show in the network first. <laughs> uh, Brad, you listed all the things that can happen. You know what? Well, it might have like a one in twenty chance of happening. Right, <laughs> he's going to kill me. <laughs> So, Ryan, I need you to know, for my mental health, actually, the only reason I am this way is for my mental health, because if I don't even register it as a possibility, I'm not upset. 
Imagine how many hits on the on the YouTubes and the Instagrams and the TikToks will get if they do win the lottery. The problem is it won't be a lot because the moment it happens, I'm grabbing this f- table, flipping it, and the entire stream is going to oh. die when I disconnect. Oh, everything. it'll be completely demonetized. I'll just strip naked and run down. Absolutely, down the yeah. yeah. But <laughs> it's not happening, and so you guys are going to get a. Unfortunately, you're going to get a live stream with thoughtful analysis of what the Red Wings could do with pick nine, and we'll do a little mini mock, and we'll have still think pick nine. Bless your heart. (laughs) We'll turn off the stream and never (laughs) speak to one another again. (laughs) Okay, uh, that's the Red Wings. We'll see where they're at after Thursday. Obviously, again, picks 8, 9, 10, and 11, or at least those draft positions pre-lottery are all in play. Thank you for bearing with us as uh, Brad and Evan bared out their souls, and I just gleefully watched as Brad said, I don't say anything smart. That was funny, yeah. I hate when Brad's funny. (laughs) Simon Edvinson. The Red Wings made the decision to only play him nine games in the NHL. And for those who don't know, if they played him a 10th game, that would uh, so-called burn a year of his entry-level contract, which is to say his entry-level contract would kick into play. And this would count as his first season. Next season would be the second year. Obviously, the year after that would be the third year. And then he would be due another contract. Uh, Not at entry-level rates, much more expensive, or at least so you would assume. The Red Wings said, if we play him under 10 games, then we can, uh, what's called slide the entry-level contract so it doesn't start until next season. That's what they elected to do. Kicking the can down the road and meaning that uh, they don't have to pay Simon Edvinson for his contract after his three-year ELC for one more year uh, beyond the, the current time frame. Now, that's that's what teams do most of the time. That's traditional thinking, but it's not always what's been done. Sometimes teams elect to burn the year early, get the ELC wrapped up early, and the thinking is with, especially with defensemen, they take a little longer to develop and they won't be as good when their ELC runs out, entry-level contract runs out, uh, and thus you can convince them essentially to sign longer term for less money than you would by giving them an extra year of development and performance. Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes are the two most recent examples of that, where they burned the ELC early and then extended them after two years. And in both those scenarios, it worked out very, very well for the team. Oh, God. Kale McCarr's contract is unreal. Yeah. Isn't, doesn't Quinn Hughes make less than eight? Yeah. It's crazy. So that that is the argument for burning the ELC. But you have to be supremely confident and certain that that player is what you think that player is. Otherwise, you might end up overpaying for a player who's not quite worth it, especially with the defenseman because of how long they take to develop. Because if you're wrong, it's a very expensive mistake. Now, I've sat here on this podcast a million times and said, the only way you're ever winning a Stanley Cup is you have to have several very good contracts on your team. So you have to take some risks. That's just how it works. So I understand the thinking and I generally fall in the category of, yeah, burn it, get them in quicker. But here's the thing. And this is going to sound like heresy to say, how certain are we about Simon Edmondson at this point? I'm pretty sure. I'm not. I think. And I don't think the Red Wings are either. Otherwise they wouldn't have slid this. Uh, oh, interesting. Because I think this nine game stint showed a lot for me. Because I was with you preseason. He didn't, he looked like like too raw. Yeah. Like I did not disagree at all with them sending him down to the AHL. I thought between the start of camp and the end of camp and the, the preseason, I thought, okay, no, Simon Edvinson is not as ready as I hoped, I'd hoped he'd be. He's going to need a year in the AHL. 
But the difference between that to these nine games, I saw enough from him where I'm like, no, this guy's going to be ready next year. And I think he might honestly be challenging Jake Wallman for first pair left side time by the end of this, by the end of next season, if not the season after, like I, I, I'm pretty sure about him. I'm definitely not there with you on terms of challenging for first pair. I on the Red Wings. What I'm about to say is going to feel like shitting on him. And I really want to make it clear. That's not what I'm doing. I am super, super impressed with what he's done this year and the strides he's made. Yeah. This is all nuanced. I am a big Simon Edmondson fan. And, you know, even going into his draft, I wasn't the biggest Edmondson guy and he's proven me wrong to this point. And I am very, very happy about that. Not that I was like a huge detractor, but I wasn't as high on him as everybody else. Um, and he's showing great strides this year. His defensive game has come a long way. His, you know, poise with the puck is arguably already the best on the Red Wings. Like he, he is a supremely confident player. And I, I love, especially on the defensive side, what he's done with his game this year. You don't pay the defensive guys a billion dollars though. And I'm, I'm not sure his offense is going to translate. He still has some pace issues that I'm worried about. Not worried in the sense of he's not going to make the NHL because he plays too slow. I'm worried his pace issues aren't going to are going to translate to not a lot of offense. And you don't pay nine million dollars to a guy who's going to score thirty five points a year. Yeah, but who says it has to be nine million? I'm just picking a random number. I so there's two reasons for me to slide this ELC as they did. And again, I don't know. I agree with it because I generally am with you on this one. Burn the ELC. I'm at least confident enough in Simon that I think he's going to be a real player for the Red Wings for a while. But I think to which degree is a big enough question that I understand why they might have done this. So the first reason being, yeah, okay, what is he? They don't know that yet. Is two years going to be enough? With a player like Simon and his toolkit, there's still a lot of things that could go a lot of ways. So there's a lot of uncertainty and I don't know if two years is going to be enough time to really get those answers. Just being honest because of the style of play he has. It's a good quality because he's such a unique player. The Red Wings can really take advantage of that on the ice, but because he's such a unique player, there's not a lot of comparables here. So if you're trying to project what his next contract should look like because of player X, Y, and Z, well, with Edmondson player X, Y, and Z don't really exist to compare to. And two, if the Red Wings plan on being competitive over the next three years, even if that's just year two and three or even year three, having him at an entry-level contract is very, very valuable. They can really load up at the deadline or preseason to, I don't expect them to win a cup in that time, but getting two, three rounds deep is going to be very, very valuable for this group. And a 987,000 Simon Edmondson could be very, very valuable towards that. Which I don't love that mentality because I feel like it's short-sighted. It should be all about maximizing the window, but you couple the uncertainty, and again, not uncertainty that he's going to be bad, but uncertainty of what he's going to be with the, yeah, you maybe want to win some playoff rounds in the next couple of years. I understand the move. Again, I don't know if that's what I would have done. I think I, I lean to the side of, I agree with sliding it just because of those two circumstances. Um, I could be talked into either, but yeah, I fully understand what they were doing here. Yeah. I don't really feel strongly one way or the other, you know, the Red Wings recently have shown that unless they're breaking down the door, it, 
it's going to be a long road for you to to make the team and to stay on the team. So I think we're leaning more that direction with Simon Evanson. Where he was at preseason, where he was at the end of the season is like night and day. And I don't think we need to rehash that. Like he's going to looks amazing compared to where he was. I just think they're uh, going to take their time with him uh, in terms of the, the contract. And honestly, I don't really feel strongly about it one way or another. I I understand the points you made, Brad. And I, I fall in with both of you where I think it's a marginal decision. Uh, I think there are some really good arguments to say, why slide it if you don't think you're going to be competitive or at least in a cap crunch for those three years where you're where you're placing the ELC on the timeline. And and that to me makes a lot of sense. Burning it early also, like I understand the questions about where he'll be, but I think that also translates into a contract, right? Like you can be pretty sure about a guy, have some concerns, but then what let's say that worst case scenario, Simon is like a second pair left D-man, and then you pay him like that. You don't necessarily it doesn't have to necessarily a big do- be a big dollar deal, which is I know what you said, Brad, but to me, the benefits of of burning a year early aren't necessarily only reserved for the highest caliber guys. Those are just the ones that stand out the most, and we don't even see a lot of burned ELCs. That said, even though that's where I, I fall, I don't think it's you know an earth-shattering mistake. The Red Wings have an insane amount of cap flexibility, and I can't sit here and preach to you that, oh, the division, the Atlantic division is going to look different, and we just just because we don't know how doesn't mean it won't. The Red Wings are going to look different. Just because we don't know how, it doesn't mean that they won't within three years. You don't know what they're going to be able to achieve. Uh, yeah, I'm. I would have preferred to see it burned, but I don't really mind them not. Uh, in terms of the certainty about Edvinson, I, I have a lot of. I, I've seen what I I've wanted to see from him in this nine game stint. I don't necessarily think you're wrong though, Brad. That there are still parts of his game in terms of pace, especially that he has to work on. I think he has really good poise, but it could be better. You know, penalty trouble will go away. I think that's just a guy getting used to the NHL speed and, and where to put his body. But I, I think his tools are starting to kind of come together and we just have to understand he's not going to have the most cider ascension, but I'm still pretty confident. That said, I think the, the, at least in our opinion, no matter which way we fall on the fence, it was a close decision either way. And I can't really fault Red Wings management and Steve Eisman for saying, well, when in doubt, let's buy ourselves flexibility. It's a little bit less risky that way, and it, it kicks the can down the road, and you have another year to make a decision. You have another year for the cap to go up. You have another year to evaluate Simon Edvinson, and then you know, if it costs you an extra million and a half or something on his contract, then that's plenty of time to deal with it. Three-year ELC, three years left on Sherratt's contract. Coincidence? <laughs> <laughs> All right, that is uh, our discussion on where the Red Wings are at now. General thoughts on the rebuild and Simon Edvinson. Let's get into uh, the most fun part of this episode, our conversation with Carter Mazur. Uh, again, we think you're really going to love uh, uh, hearing from him. It is not a surprise at all based on his development that he is making waves in the Red Wings prospect scene. And after this interview, I think you're going to be really that much more confident that this guy is potentially going to make some noise even at Red Wings training camp next season. But uh uh, he's come into the AHL after a very successful campaign with Denver, come into the AHL and, and made a splash with the Griffins being a point per game uh, right off the hop, and uh, he's looking to do big things. So without further ado, tune into this interview with Carter Mazur. 
Joining us today on the Winged Wheel podcast, we were just saying uh, he's had a, a crazy couple of months here uh, joining or joining the Grand Rapids Griffins after a successful campaign in Denver. Carter Mazer. Carter, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. We have uh, co-host Evan Lobsinger here, and uh, let's just start this off with a basic one. Carter, like we mentioned, it's been a, a wild ride for you, all of it extremely successful, extremely positive. What kind of whirlwind has it been for you going from Denver to signing your ELC with Detroit and now a successful start to your stint in Grand Rapids? Yeah, it's been a crazy couple weeks here. It's only been two weeks with the team in Grand Rapids, but it's been a fun journey so far and I look forward to continuing it. But uh, going from Denver was a hard decision, without a doubt, um, given my two years up. But it was just came down to talk with family, friends to figure out what was best for me. And I thought I was ready for the pro leagues and decided to sign, but still can't thank Denver enough for the unbelievable two years I had there. Won a national championship. They've done a lot for me individually, and I just can't thank them enough. You signed your ELC on your birthday, didn't you? Yeah, on my 21st birthday. So Not a, not a bad birthday gift, yeah, right? Yeah, still have had time to really think about it like that much because it's been so much of a travel journey, just all that. So I look forward to like doing that at the end of the year. Well, you mentioned Denver and, and how successful those campaigns were for you. Uh, and you talked a lot about what that program did for you. Uh, uh, Coach David Carl there is a, you know, similar to you, an up-and-coming name in the world of hockey and, and his respect uh, in coaching. What was it like working under him and that entire staff in Denver that's really kind of built uh, one hell of a reputation for them in the college hockey program? Yeah, they're unbelievable. They were the main reason why I chose to go to Denver. It was a tough decision when it came down to colleges, but once I talked to them, they were just so personal and just knew what they had planned. And I know they didn't have a good year before I came in, but turns out it worked pretty well for me and pretty well for them. And it's just an exciting group and exciting coaching staff that was really easy to get to know, personal. And it was just an awesome experience for me. They're just unbelievable coaches and just know how to put you in the right positions to succeed and put you in positions to get to the NHL because that's the end goal. Well, speaking of, you know, sort of, Coming into your first year as a freshman, you know, you, you didn't work your way in. You, you had two goals in your first game. I think you were like fifth in team scoring uh, or second in team scoring or fre- second in freshman scoring. Excuse me. Um, how, how did you just come out that season and, and sort of blow away any expectations? Like, was that, you know, your preparation going into that season was it was it the coaching staff that really helped you out like what led to such strong success in your first year yeah I feel like confidence is a big one there especially I had the world junior camp and I felt like I had a pretty good showing and then also getting drafted that kind of adds a lot of confidence and shows that you have a lot more to prove and shows that you can trust in your game so I feel like heading into that year was a hard year, but it was pretty fun, especially we had seven new freshmen. So we had a new young group of guys in the locker room and the older guys there, like Cole Gutman, who's in the NHL, um, Bobby Brink, they're just unbelievable players that you could learn from and watch. And there were guys that I watched every day in the summer, just how they would take care of themselves, just how they were as people, just how they played. So just watching them kind of also helped me gain more confidence and then having the coaching staff just trust in me to who I am as a player and just stay with that kind of set me up for success and it worked out in the end. 
Carter, we're going to go back to the draft in a little bit here, and and we have a little egg on our face in that respect, so we want to own up to that. But at draft time, uh, I know you look up to Darren Helm. He's a player you've idolized growing up, uh, which makes us feel old as hell, but also... uh, you know, Red Wings legend for good reason. We all remember the shift from Darren Helm. We all remember, you know, big goals that he scored and his unbelievable speed. Uh, and then I think that maybe caught some people by surprise because when you stepped into Denver and like Evan mentioned, you just started scoring. You know, I look back to how you performed with Little Caesars and even with Tri-City. That shouldn't maybe have been as big of a surprise as it was. But do you feel like your scoring really took a big step when you went into uh, the Denver program? Or do you feel like you were, you were always that kind of player? Yeah, um, I felt like that was something that I always could work on. I knew I could always score from the net front, but I really wanted to focus on scoring from outside the scoring area, so say. So that was something that I really focused on is just improving my shot from scoring from those like outer areas because that's where you're going to score some goals and that's where they're going to add up. But it was just a change too, just seeing how different college was because I'm playing against 25 year olds and 23 years old, 23 year olds instead of just 18 year olds. So it was a big difference there, but just being able to get my shot off and work on my quick release, I just knew it would help me in higher levels. Yeah, I don't, I don't mean to jump all over the place, but I'm always interested in how guys sort of end up where they did. Like you went to University of Denver, played for Tri-City, like was there was a CHL ever sort of an option um, like US and TDP? Like how did you decide on, on some of those destinations? Yeah. So it started, I played for little Caesars for about five years and kind of knew that I was for sure the college route. I didn't really have any ideas of going to the OHL, even though I was drafted to the OHL, I want to say it's a Saginaw in the seventh round and, I didn't really think that much about going major junior. That wasn't like in the back of my head because college was just something I've always watched. And I was committed to Michigan State ever since ninth grade. And that was kind of like a changing point in my second year of junior when I started to have a good year and started to put my skill set out there and put stuff together. And I decided to decommit, which was another hard decision because growing up, Michigan State was the favorite team of mine and just loved watching them. And it's funny because I used to go watch Hiroshi play there all the time. And now that he's in the same locker room as me, so it's pretty cool. But um, that was a hard decision to leave that school. But in the end, it worked out for me. And I thought it was the best decision to go to Denver. And I honestly wouldn't have ever been to Denver if I didn't play for Little Caesars because our my old uh, assistant coach, Craig Rail actually went to Denver in 1970s or around there and he reached out to them to reach out to me and then a week later when Denver reached out to me I decided that that was the school I wanted to go to and and I did. Your time at Little Caesars uh, like you mentioned always had a big impact on your journey and uh, also maybe your draft and where you got drafted uh, your time there playing with Keenan and knowing uh, uh, Chris Draper, obviously, that exposed you at a really high level to a director of amateur scouting now on the team uh, that you're signed with. Uh, what was that connection like uh, to the Draper family, and, and how did that inform on your process coming to the NHL? Yeah, they're an unbelievable family. Draper's done a lot for me, especially during the AAA years because we had players coming like Zetterberg, Datsuk, just players coming into practice when you're 12 years old and idolizing the Detroit Red Wings, seeing them coming, it's pretty awesome. And then 
getting to skate out of the Joe Lewis, so special place, and then Little Caesars Arena too. But it is different now for sure because it's more of the business side with him, and like I understand that. Like we're still can talk to each other, but I understand that there's bigger things now than just being a friendship because it is a business and. But he's done a lot for me ever since then, and I can't thank him enough for what he's done. And Keenan's still one of my good friends. I still talk to him here and there and just wish him the best of luck at Michigan and best of luck moving forward. So we actually ran into, uh, we were talking to Chris a little while back, and I laughed with him because, you know, Chris really advocated for you at the time of the draft. Uh, the Red Wings drafted you, obviously, uh, in the third round, 70th overall. And we're going to be fully transparent here, Carter. When when that pick came through, uh, our analysis was Carter Mazur, the Darren Helm comparisons were already, were already in. We thought, is third round too early? And it didn't take too long for us to be uh, uh, talking to Chris Draper and saying, well, we look stupid, and you were absolutely right, right away. So uh, obviously, you know, Chris being ultimately familiar with you is is how the Red Wings uh, uh, made what what's obviously a successful pick. You know, talking about talking heads like us, when we get something wrong like that at draft time, uh, not that I think we're so important that you would hear that kind of thing, but does that information ever filter through to a draft pick and do you use it as motivation or is the high of being drafted to the NHL just drown out all of the noise? Yeah, so being drafted is really all I really focused on because I knew I got passed over in the first round, like first time around. So that was kind of my motivation in a way to prove myself to that I was a good enough player to get drafted and especially where I was drafted. I just feel like I don't really look at things like that. There's no point in looking at things in that because I know I'm a good enough hockey player to be drafted in that situation and I put myself in that by my own hard work and it's really just having other people believe in you. It doesn't really matter. Outside noises who believe, who don't believe in you, like I, it's just all over. And if I play my game, I know it'll just take care of itself. If there's anything that we're really good on this podcast, it's uh, getting things like that wrong. So uh, we can move past that one. Um, I want to, you know, while we're on the topic of the draft, I always like to know, like, were there conversations with uh, members of the Red Wings organization? Like, did you have any idea where you might get picked? Um, especially because you said you got passed over the first time. So very curious about that one. Yeah, no, I didn't really. I probably talked to Detroit once, so I honestly didn't think they would be the team to draft me. But I did know that Draper did know a lot about me. So that's another thing that like really doesn't really need to talk to me that much besides one time and I did talk to a bunch of different teams. I thought I would be in the three to six round area, so I knew I was somewhere in there. And just to see my name by the Detroit Red Wings, though, come up, it was just a pretty surreal feeling and something that I'll never forget. And uh, just just going through that process was a lot, especially in the summer, because I was living with Shy Booyam. So we were both going through the same process together, like with draft interviews and all that during the summer. And it, it took a lot out of us and didn't really know where I was going to go, but happy where I ended up where I was. We talked about this already a couple of times, but uh, obviously you're noted as uh, being a big Darren Helm fan and, and someone who maybe you modeled your game after a little bit. Uh, Storyline in Detroit this year is the loss of a really, you know, important player type in Tyler Bertuzzi. Uh can get in your face, will punch you in the nose, grind in the dirty areas, but can score goals, you know, from all over the place, even if it's in front or outside the hash marks. Uh, 
what do you make of the hope uh, that maybe Carter Mazur can come in and be Detroit's future Tyler Bertuzzi? Uh, or do you not really kind of try to align yourself with with those uh, molds, so to say? Yeah, I want to be Carter Mazur. I don't want to be a Tyler Bertuzzi 2.0. That's for sure. I want to be myself and want to be my own player and create my own legacy in a way. But I know it's going to take a lot of work to get to that point, but I know I have it in me to get to that point and just just playing my game, I feel like will take care of itself. But it's been a journey so far. I've been only played six AHL games, but it's been a blast so far. Just adjusting to the pro hockey game has been different, but I'm kind of enjoying it a lot more, and it's just something that I'll just keep taking day by day and see where I end up. We, we've talked now about Tyler Bertuzzi, Darren Helm, and um, there might be some people who aren't all that familiar with you, Carter. So like, what does your game kind of look like? What do you model it after anyone in particular? Did it come naturally to you? Like, what is your game? And, uh, you know, maybe you can explain that for some of our listeners. Yeah. Um, I would say I'm a 200 foot player that loves to piss people off. That's kind of how I enjoy playing hockey, pissing people off, getting under their skins, even though I know you can fight now. It's not college with masks on, but, uh, that's something I love to do. And then I also love to score goals. That's a big part of who I am. And, I also think I'm a really good playmaker when the time comes, and I feel like I'm just a jack-of-all-trades, uh, someone that I kind of like to model myself after, I would say, is like a Matthew Kachuk-type player or a Brady Kachuk. I like watching those two play a lot because they do it all. They can score goals. They can play the skill part. They can piss people off, and they just do a lot out there to impact the game, whether that be their scoring ability, their playmaking ability. They, they can have one thing be the shining thing every single night even though you don't have it every single night i understand that so your your path through hockey has been uh obviously has had a lot of really important steps in it ushl to the ncaa uh, you had international stops in there how's the jump been to now what's called pro hockey do you notice the biggest difference has been between denver uh, and grand rapids in these six games yeah i would say the biggest difference is just just the high level of skill and as well as you're playing men now. You got uh, men out there instead of college students and junior hockey players. So it is a big difference with that. And then I think the other big difference is just away from the rink, you got to find things to do because usually I have school and that kind of takes up a lot of time. But now that I only have practice four hours a day, it's kind of hard to figure out what I really want to do in the off time because, you know, people – in the locker room, have families, they have wives and all this. So it is a big difference coming from college, but it's something that I know I can figure out and understand. And being an hour 30 from home is pretty nice as well because family's just right down the road, and that's always a good thing to have in my corner. Yeah, has there been anybody on uh, the Grand Rapids team that you've kind of gravitated towards or someone who's taking you under wing to try and get you acclimatized in just a short amount of time you've been there? Yeah, all of them have actually been unbelievable, but uh, Barton's been my roommate in the last couple road trips, so he's been pretty helpful and helps me with whatever I need, can reach out to Warad as well. He's an unbelievable guy. I've been talking to a lot to kind of understand what's going on here and what I should expect, and Cross Hannes, I know him from playing with him in summer tournaments and all that, so he was a guy I kind of reached out to even before getting here and asked them how it is and kind of just get more of an understanding of how the pro hockey life is and he was helpful for that so six games in grand rapids 
obviously you've come in three goals, three assists. Were you expecting to be able to do that this early in, or were you just kind of hoping to come in and do your best and, and go out there and play your game and the results would be what they would be? Yeah, I, I kind of did see myself becoming that type of player. That was some. I that's why I made the step. Honestly, I felt like I was ready to jump in and make a difference. I didn't want to jump in and just be a passenger in a way. So I feel like jumping in and knowing that I can make a difference and being put in the positions to make a difference was just helpful as well. But it's been a fun journey so far, and I look forward to keep continuing on that and keep relying on my game. All right, it's going to be the obvious question of all obvious questions. What's your goal coming out of uh, a training camp in the, the summer and early fall? Yeah, I want my dream to come true. I do want to wear the wing wheel without a doubt. That's that's always the goal. And to have that dream finally come true would be pretty special. But I know there's a lot of work to get to it. But I'm excited to see. Talked a lot about hockey. What uh, what sort of stuff do you like to do away from the rink to kind of, you know, take your mind off hockey and kind of uh, – not have to focus on the pressures of that. Yeah, I love golf. Golf's a big part. I golfed a lot in uh, high school because got you out of school a lot on Friday. So that was something I've picked up. And golf is probably the number one thing I like to do. And then also like video games. It's something that I always do. Um, hanging with friends is probably the best one. I always like being around family and friends. That's something I always cherish and love to do so that would probably be my number one honestly if i could say number one would be just hanging out with friends and family congrats on being evan's favorite red wings prospect that's right that's right you've moved way up the board that's for sure (laughs) um do you keep a golf handicap Uh, i did but i haven't golfed in eight months i was like uh i want to say a three handicap all right this guy's a gamer yeah it wasn't too bad so when we go up, you and Evan will play, and I'll caddy because I'm not embarrassing myself with a, a three handicap. And Evan, good golf up in uh, well, I knew everywhere in Michigan, obviously as you'll know, but yep. Grand Rapids too. Yeah, I'm excited to get out here and kind of feel it out in the summer and finally settle down in a home. I'm kind of tired of living out of hotel. So, yeah. <laughs> so we we talk a lot about what uh, players, especially players coming out of. Uh, uh, development programs or things like that have to do in the off season to get ready for the pro game. And a lot of it is, you know, spend time uh, in the weight room, like eat a ton of calories. Uh, your fitness and training has to get to the pro level and just bulk up. Do you feel like your time in college has kind of given you uh, a, a head start on that front or is your focus just to grind uh, in the weight room and get your fitness up this summer? Yeah, I think it has gave me a head start, but I, I know I need to add weight, especially playing against people who are 200 pounds, and, and I know I'm not the biggest guy, but I know I can get to that level. About 185 is kind of my goal to get to by the start of next year. I know it's 15 pounds, but I've done it before. I know that I have it in me, so that's something that I really want to focus on is just gaining weight and trying to keep the muscle as well as putting on the size because I know I need the size to compete out there for 72 games instead of 38. All right, Carter. Well, we'd love to take up more of your time, but uh, it looks like you have uh, a busy day ahead of you. And obviously we, uh, we wish you the best of luck with your last couple of AHL games. Uh, thank you for proving us wrong from the right off the get go uh, after draft time. It's been uh, awesome to watch your progress and uh, we're pumped to see what you can do, not just at the end of this year, but hopefully make some noise in Red Wings training camp uh, next year. So, Uh, Much appreciated, and we hope to do this again soon, man. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate your time as well. All right. That's our interview with Carter Mazur. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Uh, 
it was uh, it was fun telling him exactly how wrong we were about him at uh, at draft time. And I got to say, when we're wrong, it's always in the best ways, and it's it's awesome to watch what Carter has done. And his confidence, like it's not, I don't, I don't think it's arrogance. Like it's not like when a guy's too cocky and is like, no, he's, he said, I don't want to be Tyler Bertuzzi 2.0. I want to be Carter Mazur. And like, you have to respect that kind of confidence. It went exactly how I thought it was going to go. And then some, yeah, I was like, this kid, we know he's confident. We know like he's very calm and collected. He like knows what he's going to say, but, uh, as everyone just heard, it it was he was excellent. And you know what? The new age NHL, we see what kind of players are effective even in the toughest of games. And for someone who wants to model their game after, you know, the Kachucks, all for that. Yep. So really excited to have uh, spoken with Carter Mazer. We are excited to have him back on in the future, hopefully with some Red Wings games under his belt. Uh, big shout out to the Grand Rapids Griffins and uh, Andrew Streidel over there. Uh, always a real big pleasure to work with them. And uh, thank you again, Carter, for the time. All right, another Red Wings prospect. Let's talk about the news with Amadeus Lombardi. Unfortunately, Flint fell to Saginaw in Game 7. Lombardi did his best, scored two goals in that game. Ended up with uh, five goals and two assists in the series, so point per game through seven games in the playoffs. Ended his season, 45 goals, 57 assists for 102 points in 67 games over the, uh, the OHL season. Good for third across the league in points, sixth in goals, and ninth in assists. Uh, and again, this is the Red Wings' fourth round, 113th overall pick in 2022. Not only that, in a recent OHL coaches poll, uh, they rated Amadeus Lombardi as the smartest player in his conference, and that includes Shane Wright, uh, as well as the second best playmaker and stick handler in the conference. So this guy is well regarded, not just by his teammates and by us who are excited that he's a Red Wings prospect, but also by his his uh, opponents in opposing coaches because your own coach doesn't vote on those in those polls uh, for their own players. So Amadeus Lombardi has made waves and it was just announced that he has been reassigned to the Grand Rapids Griffins for their final two games of the season. So we may well see him suit up for pro games for the first time in his career. Amadeus Lombardi season, anyone? Absolutely. Do you want to say it or should I say it? You say it. Rock me, Amadeus. It, I love when a player comes in the league and their tagline's already figured out. It's well, it's his goal song in Flint, so they they got the message. Oh yeah, and it, that better be the case in Grand Rapids, and that damn well better be the case in Detroit. Anytime Red Wings or uh, hockey fans, I should say, have to come up with a nickname, it's always brutal. Like it's always just the most like hairbrained, meat-headed thing. So if a player has something that just works that well like that, thank you for saving us all from trying to wrinkle our brains. But look, everyone is wondering what is. Amadeus Lombardi's production at the pro level. How is this going to translate? Because I don't want to sit here and say, oh, what he's doing is common. No, it's not. The Red Wings took a swing based on uh, a player who missed a year, a very important year due, due to COVID. They said, we liked what we saw from him before. We, we think he could turn into a lot more after, and he has turned into all of that and then some. But translating that from the OHL to the AHL and NHL is a different story. Mickey Redmond says, however, that he thinks Amadeus Lombardi is going to make some noise at Red Wings training camp. Finishing third in the OHL and scoring is not a small deal. Being voted the second best playmaker, but also casually potting 45 goals, probably a pretty good sign. Throwing two goals down in game seven, probably a pretty good sign. And we've talked about it a million times, especially going into drafts and, you know, 
just been a common topic in the last seven years, but what's the hardest skill set part of your hockey repertoire to translate up levels? Scoring. Hockey IQ. Translate up levels? Up levels. I was going to say scoring too. Yeah, I think, <laughs> hockey, I think I, hockey IQ is something that, sorry, trans, like, what do you mean? Okay, translate so what into is the production? most important thing to translate yeah, up Yeah, hockey IQ. And what did he finish number one in the coaches poll? Oh my God, hockey IQ. No, you're right though. No, it's, it's, you know, you can get the guys in junior who are supremely talented. Nail Yakubov, for example. And it just doesn't work in the NHL. And you go, what, why? The guy can skate, the guy can shoot, the guy can stick handle. Well, if you don't think the game well, you're dead before you get there. Given that Lombardi's biggest strength, it's reason for optimism. Again, he's an undersized player, so he's still going to have to be quick and skilled. You can't, you can't be undersized and slow and unskilled, no matter how smart you are, because you will be neutralized very easily by the bigger, faster opponents. But those aren't weaknesses of his either. So he's smart. He's a great playmaker. He's got tons of skill and he's pretty quick. That's a pretty good recipe for a fourth round steal. Again, still an uphill battle. Anytime you have an undersized fourth round pick, no matter how close they get to the NHL, they're still pretty far from the NHL, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So he's anything but a lock. But we talked about it coming out of COVID. There are going to be steals in those COVID era drafts because of circumstance. Lombardi's circumstance might've been the most unique of them all. Cause he didn't play his first OHL season until he was 18 years old. The Red Wings drafted him as an overager. He had already passed through one NHL draft where he was eligible, but he hadn't played in the OHL yet. So nobody was obviously nobody drafted him. And this could be what we were hoping for that whole time. Just find a guy in the mid to late rounds that he's a guy. He's a, but nobody knows it because there's not enough exposure. Man, <laughs> Lombardi has done everything he could and then some to put him in the conversation as of being the quote-unquote biggest COVID draft steal. For all the all of the boxes that he could have checked this far into his development, he has checked all of them and some that we didn't even know were possible. So yeah, I absolutely agree. He's done everything he could and then some. Whether or not, like, I didn't even think we'd be having this conversation because he was drafted, listed, listed as a center, and you look at his size and you're like, mm, big unknowns because of the lost year uh, of development. Is he going to actually be a center? That's a pretty big question mark. That's in play. Depending on how his, his like you said, Brad, his, his hockey IQ and his skill translates, how he's able to move around on the ice and think the game, how he's able to to build his frame. That's what leads me to believe a year in the AHL is is a lot more likely. I don't I do think that he could make some noise at training camp and absolutely be a surprise roster make, but uh, making noise at training camp doesn't necessarily mean a roster spot. Right. You come in as a fourth round pick 2 years after being drafted and well, would that even be 2 years technically and then go to Grand Rapids. That's a very pleasant surprise. For me this is the biggest draft win the Red Wings have had since Carter uh, Mazur. <laughs> yeah. Elmer Soderblom. Mo Sider, Lucas Raymond. Yeah, I, I guess. The Red Wings have a lot have had a lot of draft wins, but in terms of this genre, like the, the fourth round pick, the late round pick, I know people want to make the Braden Point comparison and just forgive me for not doing that right now. But yes, like the Red Wings could potentially have a top six guy that they grabbed in the fourth round. And you've said it a trillion times, Brad. 
if you want to be a cup competitive team, you not only have to hit on your first round picks, but you also have to find some first round value players in the later rounds, which is a near on impossible task because if you could do it reliably, everyone would do it. There's the odd guy who gets passed over and everyone's like, why are you passing him over? Obviously he was going to be good, but that is like to what pick 15 or something. Think of like Cole Caulfield. Very rarely does everyone know that a second, third, fourth round pick is going to be first round value. Uh, and they all just decide not to draft him. That's not the way hockey teams work. So thrilled to see Lombardi. If he can play these last two games for Grand Rapids, that would be excellent. Um, just to kind of see how he would do at the pro level, that kind of physicality and speed. Uh, Prashant Iyer asked the important question of uh, whether or not he could be assigned to the ECHL once a Grand Rapids season is done. And he got a message from, uh, and I'm quoting his Twitter here, uh, at Iyer underscore Prashant, uh, received a message from a reputable source that Lombardi would be considered eligible to play for Toledo in the playoffs and would be exempt from the five regular game, regular season game rule as he would be considered an amateur. Uh, that's confirmed. So yeah, if the Red Wings wanted to, Lombardi could then get some time with uh, Toledo in their playoff uh, push. Because the question is going to be raised, uh, we don't believe the Red Wings are going to go that route with Carter Mazur. Not sure about Lombardi, but we don't think that that's what they're going to do with uh, Carter Mazur. We think it's just going to be Grand Rapids season and then done. It's a long season for those guys, right? Like they've played their team's full season, playoffs, final, or um, NCAA playoffs as well. Like, how much are you really going to get by just shoving him down in Toledo for for a, bun- a handful of games? And you heard Carter; he didn't even have time to celebrate his twenty first birthday. He was too busy signing an NHL contract. He had to get. Oh it yeah, it sounds off. terrible. <laughs> I, I know it. I feel for him. I really do. <laughs> and a lot of this could apply to Lombardi as well. We don't yeah. know for sure because he did play a full OHL season as a leader on his team, leader in the league, and then had a tough seven game series. And he's going to play two games with Grand Rapids in all likelihood. Um, that's a long season. <laughs> His season's going to go longer than the Red Wings, so... Um, well, whose is it? <laughs> but, uh... It, it, that it, one hurt, man. <laughs> should be used to it by now. <laughs> it, would make, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. It would probably actually be value for, valuable for him to go get a playoff run in with Toledo, but I, I don't think it's necessarily a guarantee. Amadeus Lombardi continuing to win hearts and minds. Thrilled uh, that it's gone this far, and... I mean, like, yes, there's the obvious stories of Casper and Edvinson and what they can do. And we had that whole discussion earlier. I think what the Red Wings do next season isn't only contingent on what players they go out and, and get and what holes they fill. It's contingent on how Casper and Edvinson specifically play. But it's not just that the Red Wings have to look forward to. Players like Carter Mazur, players like Amadeus Lombardi, that is genuinely going to be so substantial in terms of what they can do. What a what a luxury it is to have these conversations about unexpected non-first round picks and how well they're progressing. And we haven't even mentioned William Wallander yet. That's right. There's like we are getting the Red Wings prospect pool is getting so big that every time we do one of these episodes, where there are a lot of very fair comments underneath the, the show that say, How come you didn't talk about, you know, X, Y, and Z player? Like it's been all prospect focused that we haven't even focused that much on the prospect. Like Jonathan Berggren, um, had like made the team and stuck on the team and put up some really good numbers as he went through the paces of being a rookie at the NHL. And we hardly pay, I, th- I feel like hardly paid attention to him as the season went on because of all of the stories that, you know, with Edmondson and Casper and what the guys were doing in the minors. It's bleak for Red Wings fans, but it's also you, the light at the end of the tunnel is not small anymore. I'd say. 
Maybe that's hopeful. Okay, time for some NHL news quickly before overtime. Uh, actually, did you want to make a note about uh, Vili Husso and his workload? It was too much. They, <laughs> Prashanth posted a, a, uh, I believe it was cumulative goals saved above expected chart. And after a certain point in the season, it, it dipped quite substantially. I wonder how much of that was an injury that's, that he's working through. Also, it's his first time playing that much. He's never had this workload before. So even though the last little bit of it went very, very poorly, it's at least beneficial that he did it because it won't be such a shock to his system next year and the year after if it does indeed happen again. Where to find Jonathan Bernier 2.0? Would love for him to come in and play 30, 40 games. Semyon Varlamov? Don't know that he'd be the determined money that the Red Wings would be interested he's, in. He's old as shit. He can't be asking for that much. I think he would because of the pedigree and, and what he's put up in uh, the, on Long Island, I should say. like he, He'll ask for money and he might get it. You could always just go back to Russia. Good. All right. Uh, some NHL news. What did you make of the Weidman quote after Toronto uh, played there? Essentially, emergency backup goalie. The biggest loser quote in the history of hockey. Like, just, I have never felt bigger loser vibes than I have felt than when he made that statement. So, for context, the Leafs, uh, through their own faults and cap management, have not been able to address an NHL backup goalie uh, for cap reasons. So For the last three years, burn! Yeah, I got him. Um, so they've been going through a series of, uh, e-bugs, essentially emergency backup goalies signed to ATOs, uh, you know, amateur tryout, amateur tryout. Yep. Um, so the first game they did, it was against Montreal, a goaltender by the name of Jet Alexander, who I think plays U sports hockey, uh, which is Canadian college hockey. And in that game, Samsonov started for the Leafs and Toronto absolutely smacked the Montreal Canadians to the tune of seven, one, eight, one, something like that. So in the last minute and change of the game at a whistle, the Red Wings, uh, the Red Wings, the Leafs pulled Elias Samsonov and put in Jet Alexander because the game was out of reach. So they're giving this 23-year-old kid the literal greatest moment of his life to that point in all likelihood. And phenomenal story. The circumstances for everything for this moment to align for this kid aligned perfectly and the Leafs jumped on it. And it's a great feel-good moment. It meant nothing on the game. It impacted nothing. And it was just just truly a feel-good story in the moment. And after the game, uh, apparently, some players in the Montreal Canadiens, specifically Chris Weidman, had an issue with it. They felt it was disrespectful. And he said, they're going to get what's coming to them in a couple weeks. But they're going to miss the playoffs and win the draft lottery? Like, I don't understand. So so th- this player from this team who is comfortably out of the playoffs and has not played a meaningful game in weeks um, said this team that's going to be playing in games uh, while he's golfing is going to get what's coming to them. So his threat is, hey, see this other team? They're going to beat you. So this feel-good story, he takes as a personal insult for some reason and says, hey, we're not going to do anything about it, but this other team's going to beat you. Like I said, the biggest loser statement in the history of hockey, and there were some fans and media members 
who backed Chris Weidman up on that. And uh, I just need it on record. Everybody who agrees with Chris Weidman, you are just as big a loser as he is. Because what the hell are you talking about? If Chris it's, we- a, it's a cool moment for a kid who would never otherwise have this moment. If you don't want an emergency backup goalie to go in for the last minute of the game, don't lose by seven goals. Here's the thing. If Chris Weidman went out there and said, you know, one day we're going to have the the players to compete with them again. And then, you know, then they'll get what's coming to them. I'll, I My thought would be kind of like, I don't agree as a neutral observer for you to dump all over what I agree with you, Brad, what it's a very cool story. But from a rivalry perspective, yeah, absolutely. Oh, hang on to that. Use that as bulletin board material and uh, and use it as motivation. But saying this other team that's not us is going to beat you like that. <sighs> So poopy pants. Like, like it's full diaper. Like is this is this Sunday morning like pickup hockey or is this the National Hockey League? I just when these there's been a few of those these types of quotes over the past year or so and it's just like like too bad. Yeah. Don't be terrible. It's like, how I, I just, feel. I don't understand like what are you going to tell the other team not to just bury you? Like I don't understand. Like it it and and then to go say it publicly to the media and if, not have a good not even have a good quote like like, <laughs> like don't get me wrong if I'm on the Montreal Canadiens and I see that happening it's a cool story for the kid but I'm gonna feel like shit about it and like you hang on to the, that yeah, that's, we are that's getting on you <laughs> yeah we are getting beat so bad that this amateur is coming in yeah that sucks like I'm not saying Weidman should be happy for the kid he shouldn't but like don't fill your diaper over it don't go to the media about it maybe. Maybe just save the quote and tell it to the Uber driver on your way home. Again, I Ryan, you can't let that one go. That's the best joke I'm going to have all episode. My bad. <laughs> I completely blanked on the auto Uber incident. I thought this was in reference to, to other taxi cab. <laughs> NHL has a lot of Uber and cab related incidents. <laughs> I am. I in part of it also is Toronto went out and put their uh, uh, top power play out late in the game. I think it was again. Be. B- no, no, hang on to it. Like, I genuinely don't care. Hang on to it. Use it as motivation. If this is a charity game and the other team, some of them have one leg and they have their skate guards on out there, oh, that's yeah. one thing. Felt like a personal attack, but okay. But this is the per- this is the National Hockey League. These are the best players on the planet. Like, if you can't handle the heat, go play in those games. Like, I don't know what to tell Chris Weidman, like, don't be a poopy pants. If you, you know what would have been great and he would have been within his rights to do? He didn't say anything. He just said, like, no comment or whatever. Down the line, two years, three years, whatever, and he's still on team. Montreal beats Toronto by a lot. And he went out to the media and said uh, they should have put their e-bug in. They might have done better. Yeah, absolutely. Or you could say, oh, we're thinking about putting David Ayers in uh, yeah, at the yeah. end of that game uh, just so he could have another great moment against the Leafs. Why Boom, not? Roasted. No, he, I agree. Uh, I, it's a cool moment for the kid. And I'm I'm also, and I know people don't agree, this is the same kind of family as if you don't like bat flips off homers, don't give up the homer, you know? That's but, what I'm saying. Anyways, I, I laughed when that came up. I'm sure if this happened to the Red Wings, we'd have a lot more of a... a the, the take might not be on the same part of the spectrum, but in general, I no, like cool no, stuff. No, we wouldn't. No, we wouldn't. I, we have our opinion. flaws and we have our biases. 
if a Red Wings player come out and sat that, I would be slamming him just as hard right now. Right. I, I would too. I appreciate that. If we lost to David Ayers, we'd all be this would be <laughs> the, the trifecta Steve Dangle reaction right now. Oh my god. The veins in our foreheads would never be more prominent. Yeah. I have no time for poopy pants, like not like I'm, you know I'm done. Have... I'm done with this conversation. All right, all right, move all right. us along. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna move us over to overtime here. Uh, where we take fan comments and questions. Hold on, did we make fun of Pittsburgh yet? Oh at, yeah, at the, at the start of the show, I alluded to it slightly. Okay. And we should do it some more. I just I had a joke queued up about this was Morazic and Athens use revenge to the Red Wings, but they're they, sleeper agents. <laughs> man, Pittsburgh fans are eating up that that management and that head coaching, and I don't think they're wrong to do it. How do you go out and lose that game? <laughs> that is the biggest. That is a lob. Straight down the middle of the plate. In, It's actually teed up for them. That ball was on the tee. And they somehow swung, missed, hit themselves in the temple with their own bat, fell on their ass and, and busted their knee. Like, how do you lose to the Blackhawks in a must-win game to get yourself into the playoffs? After just destroying, clinically destroying the Red Wings. That is, that is, if you want to talk about loser shit, that game was, that was the one of the most pathetic losses I've seen in the NHL in a long time. And I've been covering the Red Wings for the past eight years. That is the biggest regular season choke job game in decades. That, and the only way that can be topped is if the Islanders lose to the Canadians tonight. Oh, it would be so funny. I know Dom, uh, Dom posted that. That would be hysterical. Hysterical. All right, it's a, it's a yeah. Sorry, it's a it's a really tough look for a team that's got the likes of Sidney Crosby, Chris Letang, and Evgeny Malkin that they can't just will them through. Oh. We're hey, we're hey. all going to be in their late thirties next season, who have no not many picks, no farm system to speak of, no third or fourth line, no defenseman beyond Chris Letang. <laughs> like, you got to earn it. All right, uh, let's get into overtime. Overtime is proudly brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash podcast. if you want to join the Dub Dub Club. Folks, everything that we do on this podcast, from Winged Wheel Podcast days at the LCA uh, to, to giveaways to growth of the show, we're expanding our network and we're launching a new show hosted by Prashanth Iyer and Sean Shapiro called Expected by Whom. That's their handle on Twitter. Go give them a follow. First episode is coming later this week. All that stuff that we do is thanks to our thanks to our Patreon supporters. You get great benefits like access to our Winged Wheel Podcast Discord. Uh, you are automatically entered into all of our giveaways. We gave away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game this season. The vast majority going to uh, patrons. And additionally, uh, you get access to our Patreon exclusive bonus episodes, which record right after these ones, which are generally a great time. And uh, even more than these episodes, Brad and Evan have free reign to yell, swear, insult me, etc. Yep. It's a good it's time. A good time. So patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. It would mean the world if you could uh, join and give us that support if you're able. All right, let's take some questions here from our patrons. Uh, Coyote season tickets in Tempe says the topic hasn't been broached for a while, but I have to ask, what do you think needs to happen for Sergei Fedorov's number 91 to be retired as it rightly should have been for over a decade? Oh, I think the Russia geopolitical situation has thrown a big wrench in things. If in the background, things had moved along. I don't know if Eiserman coming in would have changed anything or if they had plans. I thought it might, but with with the war in Ukraine right now, I don't know that that's happening anytime soon. Outside of that, change of ownership? Yeah. I wasn't going to say it, but yeah, that's the that's the actual answer. My name is Brad Crisco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was 
You're five foot four. Unless I get yeah. your money, you're not allowed to do that. Okay, no, no I'm not taking that trade. Fair enough. <laughs> you can take his golf clubs. You can probably sell those for a pretty penny. He's a lefty. I don't want them. Wow. That's fair. Oh, to be fair. Whistle bear will lose them before you can ever get them. <laughs> uh, Dylan Larkin's Nana says, I, I know it's a relatively meaningless stat, but play this game with me without looking. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry to say, but this is these are easy answers. Brad and Evan are going to get these right away. Guess who has the best and worst plus minus rating on the Wings roster this season? One guess each. Go. Uh, best, Wallman. Yep. Worst, Shrut. Yep. Those are going to be <laughs> <It's> Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I will use uh, uh, I will use this stat now that it is convenient for me. Thank you. <laughs> uh, the Jims says, "Hey guys, it was great to see you at person at the LCA. What an epic day! With the current state of the team, knowing we will have uh, a roster of some of our top prospects and the addition of some trades, what percent chance do you give the Red Wings of making the playoffs next season? I'm going to go with 71 percent on the hope that Larkin can get some help next year." Oh man, uh, I was going to be very optimistic and say 40. Oh, oh, and that, that feels yeah. like on the high end. Like I'm, I'm being generous there. I think I don't think forty is unfair, and I don't think forty is like that's pretty good for a team fighting for a bubble. They'll be fighting for a wild card spot if they are. Yeah, I, I do expect improvement, and that's with the context of they made it to late February with this iteration of the Red Wings, and I think next year's should be improved. So I'm gonna bump it up to a forty. But the reason I don't want to go over 50 is who the hell of the playoff teams this year is going to fall off. And that's not counting a rise from Buffalo, Ottawa, Washington gets back to form. Like it's an uphill battle. So I, I can't possibly give them a better than 50% chance. Yeah. Without knowing what happens during free agency, I don't think I could give them better than 40. I think maybe that might go up to 45 if all goes well, but let's let's be honest. If things within the realm of reality happen, and it's not like suddenly Elias Pettersson's on the Red Wings next season, like something crazy like that, uh, the Red Wings will be an outside shot for the playoffs still, but not as far outside as they were this year. Which you saw how close they got. Some might call it not close, but still, it was closer than they'd been. Forty's not bad. I don't think forty's terribly unfair. So what's your number? I'll, I'll call it forty as well. Right now, I've. Hey, I had the Red Wings at seventh this year, so nailed it. Maybe I'm the uh, maybe I'm the pessimist on this podcast. I don't know. I'm very bearish on next season. I'll say ten percent. Whoa i I just don't see it. Like, obviously, we didn't think Boston was going to do what they were going to do this year. Florida was a bit of a disappointment. Well, a big dis- disappointment. Buffalo and Ottawa. Are in sort of the same race as the Red Wings right now. Um, and I think I've got more confidence in Buffalo turning it around than uh, than Detroit in a in a, a one-year window. So I'm not all that confident on next season at this moment. Uh, getting nailed this tax season says, Amadeus, better than Shane Wright, confirmed. He easily goes in the first round and a too early to tell redraft. Where would you slate him in? Here's hoping for divine intervention tonight for the Habs against the Isles. Stay fresh cheese bags. So this is the retroactive to the. God, I'm traveling. Is this Shane Wright draft? Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, I say conservatively fourth. (laughs) No, uh, probably mid to late first. I was thinking somewhere conservatively in the 20s to 30s or 
20 to 30 range. Yeah, the range is still very, very high, but uh, I don't know. He could, yeah, he could be like high first round depending on how the next season or two goes. You just can't guarantee that yet. All right, let's see if we have any other comments here. Uh, Ryan Hubbard says, hey guys, it's been a minute. When do you think Stevie gets a statue next to Gordy outside or inside the LCA? Oh, they'll wait until he retires. Retires, yeah. They, they he won't want that as his GM. That's not Stevie's stuff. Especially, imagine things aren't going well, and then they re- unveil a statue. I mean, we can obviously we can separate ourselves from that, but the optics of it isn't all that great. No, I'm changing my answer now that you you, you gave me an idea on the positive spin after the ring, Wings win the cup. Oh, it's, okay. It's like how Gary Bettman gets into the Hall of Fame while he's still commissioner. Yeah. <laughs> if the Red Wings win a cup in five years, put that statue up the year after. Uh, also for Evan, stealth or paradigm? Love all you guys do. Always listening to the pod. Also, I side with Evan. I do not floss. No cavities. No, floss. Hell yeah, baby. Don't side with this freak. I floss once a week. If I had his genetics, I never would either. He the, had, Has anything bad ever happened to Evan from the moment he was conceived? Well, mm. of course, that front lawn. <laughs> yeah. The, one, yeah. the one time you'll have to listen to our Patreon exclusives for that story. That's the greatest story Evan's ever told, and it's not close. The powers that be looked at Evan's life and went, oh, we forgot to put some uh, negativity modifiers on this guy. We're just going to get it all out of the way in a 15 minute window. Yeah. And they filled a pothole with muddy street water, splashed him in the face, and said, yeah, that's good for a lifetime. And put all his neighbors out front at the exact worst time imaginable. And now he flosses once a week and has no. No dental problems. Which is bizarre because my parents have both had a lot of dental work. Shut up and answer his question about stealth or paradigm. Um, Great question. Uh, if you're speaking stealth too, the durability has been quite suspect on those. And you've actually seen a lot of the tailor-made driver PGA professionals switch back to the first iteration of the stealth, which is very peculiar. So, I mean, honestly, if you like the looks of the stealth, which is hard to beat, it, it's great. But I'm a Callaway guy, um, and I really like the paradigm this year. Um, but a lot of it goes if, – if if you're putting the same shaft in the same club, then it's basically whatever. Um, but in terms of the reliability, I would go with the paradigm for now. All right. Let's wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. The next time we talk, the season will be over. It's crazy. And we may very well have a Red Wings season in review for you. So uh, we'll be back with you on Sunday. Uh, Just a quick note, please, uh, if you have an opportunity, and the Islanders are already beating the Canadians, uh, if you have an opportunity and uh, are free on April 13th, which is tomorrow, Thursday at 6.30, go to jamiedanielsfoundation.org to get your tickets to Comedy Night of Hope. Uh, Shout out to Cranks Catering for sponsoring the event and providing an excellent dinner with your ticket. A great night of laughs is going to be uh, a fantastic evening and also supports a fantastic cause as the Jamie Daniels Foundation continues their fight against substance use disorder. So again, Comedy Night of Hope, Thursday, April 13th, 6.30. Go to jamiedanielsfoundation.org to get your tickets. We'd like to thank all of you who have tuned into the show. Uh, if you're enjoying the show and want to continue to support us, patreon.com slash wingedwheelpodcast. Uh, if you want to support us in different ways uh, and can't contribute, uh, you can also do that by subscribing and giving the show a rating wherever you tune in. Uh, to tell a friend about the show. Uh, if you're a new listener, welcome. And if you're a listener of old, thank you for sticking with us. To all of our patrons, thank you so very much. Our name level supporters on Patreon. Thank you. Arjun Shanker, 
Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Ground Foundation. Akefer, Bertuzzi is straight up missing. Nick Perks, We Are Geelong, the greatest team of all. Glenn Brabham, Aiden White, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels. Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Babe Landiscog, Carl Brutana Nanaluski, Chimmy, Chris P., Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Hanks Energy, Hassam al Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kaylin Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Las Ensaladas Picantes, Marcus, Matt McKay, Matt Penzine, Michael Edland, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Red 3, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Send It Seawolf. That's what I appreciate about you. Uh, Ty- Tyrone Bigham's Mystery Shot, Unpickable Nose, Wallman's Elite Dancing D, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, number one Detroit Red Guys fan, A.A. Ron, Adam Gowitska, Adam Rose, Antonio Gracias, Ben Baird, noted Philip Zadina Whisperer, and Alex Nadelkovich Truther, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, C.J. Wilkinson, Connor Leighton, Corey Prida, Darren Fick, Dios Mio, Donde Esta, To Do Mi Hero, Evans, 2018 Kitchener Road Puddles, Frank Stanley, Grand Rapids Hockey Guy, Griffey Boy, Instructions Unclear, Cheesebag No Longer Fresh, James Laporte, Jeremiah Adobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Ingalls, Josh Shelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Matt Keeler, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider, O'Ophelia, Ryan, the Ryan Hannah, Hannah, Stephen, Tatar Sauce, the Hodag. Thank you all so very much, and we'll be back with you on Sunday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.